Hi, I'm Rebecca. Hi, I'm Sarah. And I'm Allie, and you're listening to Desk Chair Detectives. Hello, and welcome. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Happy to be here. I'm feeling very formal today. <laughs> I'm going to tell you the story of Angela Samota. Have you heard of it? No. Me either. This is going to be good. I'm excited. I heard of it last night when I was Googling murders <laughs> you've never heard of. Well, they were right. <laughs> yes, they were correct. Okay, so I picked this today for a couple of reasons. One, I'm seeing my college roommates this weekend, so that has something to do with it. But also, it's the story of friendship, murder, and straight-up girl Ooh. power. All my favorites. All my favorite things. <laughs> yeah, we love it all. So in the fall of 1982, 18-year-old Angela, or Angie, Samoda, and Sheila Waisaki met at the Southern Methodist University in Dallas, Texas. Uh, they were roommates their freshman year, and Sheila actually said that she, they didn't get along at first because Angela had this boyfriend that Sheila did not like. <laughs> which is very relatable. Um, but once they had broken up, the two girls grew very close. Um, you know, they bonded over a bunch of different things, but mainly over their similar upbringing. Um, the two girls were really, really different, though. Um, Sheila was not totally into the whole, like, academic life. Um, she described herself as pretty friendly, but you would never find her, like, the center of attention. Um Whereas Angie was described as very vivacious. Uh, she had this huge smile that would light up her whole face. If you Google her, um, or I can post it, but there's this one photo that comes up, and I think she's, like, dancing or just being goofy. Like, I think she has her tongue sticking out. Um, and it just, like, encaptures the kind of person um, she was in this picture. Um, something that I love about Angie was she was one of the few girls in the computer science um, and electrical engineering department at their college. Um, we love a woman in science. Yeah, good for her. I, I couldn't do that, that in 2020. <laughs> Seriously. That's awesome. I thought that was like pretty big for 1982. Um, not many women at the time. Um, Angie was also, like, drop-dead gorgeous. Like, you know when you see um, an old yearbook photo from the 70s and 80s, and they all just look like beautiful adults? Like, mm -hmm. and then you look at pictures of, like, your grade yes. from high school, and yes. just, we all look like children in comparison. Um, but, like, that was Angie. She had this, like, perfect smile, uh, long, thick hair, and she was just, like, super cute. So, pretty much Angie was, like, everything you'd hope to be. <laughs> Super nice, really smart, and, like, on track to be really successful. Yeah, yeah like, what's it like? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, can't really. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> she had lined up an engineering job for when she graduated, so it seemed like everything was going really great in her life. Uh, you know, flash forward two years later, on the night of October 12th, 1984, Angie and two other friends decided to go to the State Fair of Texas. Um, after going to the fair, the three friends went to a place called the Rio Room, which is like a dance club. Um, according to her friends, Angie was having a good time 
talking to a bunch of people and seemed to know everyone there. Um, they stayed a little after midnight, um, and then Angie drove her two friends home and stopped at her boyfriend's house to say goodnight before driving back to her condo. Um, her boyfriend said that around 1.45 a.m., he got a call from Angie saying that there was a man at her condo who asked if he could use her phone and the bathroom. Her boyfriend was not clear on if the man was in her house when she got home or if she ran into him um, outside and then allowed him to come in. But I feel like it would be a very different conversation if you came home and there was a man in your condo. Because, like, one, why are you calling your boyfriend instead of the police? Um, So I kind of think that he was outside, like she ran into him in the parking lot. Wait, he asked if he could use her phone in the bathroom? No, 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 and the bathroom. Oh. It was like like the (laughs) 80s, so there weren't really, like, cell phones. I was... I was thinking that, like, he was like, can I use your phone in the bathroom? And I was like, how did he know she had a phone in her bathroom? And why does she have a phone in her bathroom? I mean, I use my phone most in the bathroom. So. Right. But I wouldn't <laughs> use a landline. <laughs> I think Andrea was, like, really creeped out or she knew she was kind of, like, making a mistake letting this guy in because um, when she was on the phone with her boyfriend, she was like, hey, can you just, like, talk to me? Um like, you know, when you're in a parking lot and you're, like, scared and you're, like, you call someone you're, like, hey, uh, can you just talk for a minute so I get to my car? It was kind of like that. Um, so then all of a sudden she was, like, wait, I'll call you right back. And she hung up. Wait, so she she let him into her apartment and, like, he was using the phone and then she was using a separate phone to call her boyfriend? Yeah, I'm not sure. I think he was in the bathroom okay. and then that's when she called the boyfriend. Yeah. Yeah, the whole thing was, like, pretty weird because he wasn't, like, 100% sure, like, what was really going on. Right. But it was also, like, one forty-five in the morning. So I don't know, like, mm-hmm. how clear he was thinking. So, yeah, she hung up. Um, and that was the last time anyone would hear from Angie again. Um, he immediately tried to call back, but no one answered. So he actually got in his car and drove to her house and knocked on the door, but no one answered. Um, and the door was locked. Um, so then I think he like must have had a car phone or something because he called the police and they arrived by 2.17 a.m. So it just seems like everything is happening super fast. Like she left the club a little after midnight, dropped off her friends, stopped at her boyfriends. All of a sudden this dude is at her apartment. Uh, like she called her boyfriend at 1.45 and now it's 2.17 and the cops are here. So. Jeez. Yeah, that's, that is really quick. So like. So the boyfriend knew enough to, like, call the police? Yeah. Even though, he, like, he it was knew late at night. Wow, that's impressive. Like, I, I wouldn't think a man would do that. I know, right? He'd probably be like, oh, she'll call me later. Um, uh, everything's going to be all right. Yeah, I'm going back to bed. Back to yeah, that's that's crazy how he, how he realized. Because, like, I don't even think I would, like, I don't know, that would register in my brain. Well, actually, if my girlfriend or boyfriend was calling me and saying there's a strange person in my house using my phone, then I would be worried. Yeah, my first reaction would have been like, well, get out of the house. Also, like, why? Like, why? why? I'm, I'm not trying to like blame her, but um, I just, I, you know, I feel like back then, especially there was like this pressure to like always be nice and be polite and like you never want to be rude or like make someone feel bad. But like, no, come on. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, like, if someone's asking for help, you don't want to be like, um, no, get away from me. 
Yeah. And it was a different time too. Like now we're so hyper-focused on safety and all of that. But back then, like that wasn't a thing. Exactly. Um, so the police arrived, like I said, at 217. Um, and they like immediately broke the door down. I guess he like explained what was going on and they were like, yeah, we're not messing around. And unfortunately, they discovered a very gruesome scene. They found the body of Angie Samoda dead on her bed, naked and covered in blood. No, like that is so quick. Like he probably felt so horrible. You know. And what is that, a half hour from yeah. 1.45? Yeah, it's almost a half hour. Like, she's alive and talking to one minute. Right. And then, and he, he did, did everything, everything right. Like, right. I mean, maybe, I mean, hindsight 2020, he should probably could have called the police. But, but like, that point, it happened so fast, right. there was nothing he right. could have done. Oh, my God. That's one of those things where, like, if all, I know if it were me, I would be thinking, like, what could I have done differently to get here sooner or, like, for that to not happen? Because it was so quick. Yeah, it's like oh very God. Um, But an autopsy later revealed that she was raped and repeatedly stabbed, I think about like 18 times. Um, and the fatal wounds were punctures to her heart. Ugh. Which is just That's so personal. That's so personal. Yeah, like you're oh. in someone's home. <laughs> Murdered her on her bed. And the, her fatal wounds were to her heart. And she was raped. That's so personal. I know. It's like the absolute worst. I can't. So obviously like the big question on um, everyone's mind was like, who did this? Who was that guy who was asking to use the phone in the bathroom? And like, why Angie? Like, why did this happen? Um, So for a while in the beginning, the police, they had assessed, they had um, suspected that one of her, her friends who she was out with that night, he was a 23 year old architect. Um, and she, he was one of the guys that she had dropped off like an hour before her murder. And he only lived like a five minute walk from, um, Angie's apartment. Um, so obviously Sheila, who was her freshman roommate and close friend, she was like really upset. And she had told the police that she would do anything to help them find Angie's killer. So they were like, you know what, actually, um, great idea why don't you spend some time with this architect? Oh, no. Wait, I have a question. If, if I have the many. Guy, yeah. If the guy who was in her apartment used her phone, why wasn't the first thing that they did was track the phone record? I know. Like, what is it? Just, like, press redial and see who he called. Yeah. Something yeah. or, or like even check the phone records to see like who that person called and then get the information from there. Like, did they ever do that? Right. Yeah, I didn't find anything that like specifically said if he actually used the phone or not. But like my thought is that he went into the bathroom first and that's when like she used the phone to call her boyfriend. Uh, mm, so maybe he never she had two phones. So maybe he never used it. Because mm. that's the other thing, too, is like. He, she talked to her boyfriend, right? So, like, if he knew the guy, wouldn't she say, so-and-so followed me home, I'm uncomfortable? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like, if she knew him, she would say it was blah, blah, blah. Um, so, like, I'm actually not going to say this guy's name. Because, um, like, I don't really know why the police, right. like, 
narrowed in on this guy. I think he was a little shy, a little awkward, and maybe people thought he was weird or something. But um, that's actually like why Angie, Angie invited him out that night because um, I don't think he made like he had like that many friends or I don't know. She was just like a very nice person. Yeah, I also don't get, like, if the police thought that this guy, like, viciously attacked Angie and killed her, like, why are they sending her friend to go hang out with this guy? Yeah, let's just have another <laughs> vulnerable woman, like, hang out with your suspect. That's smart. Oh, my God. And Sheila was like, yep, okay, I'll do it. Oh, my <laughs> No <God>. problem. <laughs> and she actually invited him to dinner. Like, they went and got dinner oh together. God. And she was actually, like, freaking out the whole time. Uh, she was like, be cool, be cool, be cool. And, like, the whole time she was sitting there, she was like, this guy murdered my friend. Like, okay, great. Like, I'm eating dinner with a murderer. Right, I can't believe course. it. Sheila, girl. Ugh. Yeah, I'm amazed she made it through that dinner. I don't think I could do it. Was she, like, tapped or something? Did they know that she was going or did she go rogue? Yeah, they definitely knew she was okay. going, but it wasn't, like, an official police assignment. Um, they were just kind of like, mm, let us know what you think of him. So when she got back from dinner, she called the police and was like, yeah, his story was, like, the same thing he told you. Like, she didn't really get any, like, bad vibes or, like, murdery vibes, I guess. Um, but the police, like, just kept questioning him and like bringing him in and they were like convinced it was him um, and they actually eventually gave him a lie detector test uh, which he passed um, and after a while he stopped cooperating uh, with the police which I like kind of get um, like there was no evidence and they just like kept badgering this guy and um, and then he also got this like famous lawyer who was well known for representing like guilty people so, like yeah. that didn't Uh-oh. make uh, him look that great but like I said, at the end of the day, they couldn't provide any physical evidence that linked him. So he was not charged. Um, I also read um, that a lot of people thought her boyfriend was guilty because, you know, he was like the last one to talk to her. And, um, you know, she called him with this weird story. Like, she's a really smart girl. Why would she let some rando in her house? Um, and like, why was he not out with her that night? Was he jealous that she was out with other people? Um, he went to her house and he was one who called the police, but at the end of the day, they, um, didn't have any evidence, so they couldn't charge him. So because the police like didn't have any viable suspects, this eventually turned into a cold case. Um, but it was, this murder like really obviously traumatized Sheila. Uh, you know, it affected her in many ways. She said that she had to sleep on her mother's floor for a while because mm-hmm. she was so scared. And she actually ended up leaving college. But over the years, she stayed in contact with some of the detectives from the case. And I I thought this was funny that, like, one even went to her wedding in 1988. So a little while later. Um, But in 2004, which is 20 years after Angie's murder, Sheila was still thinking about her friend often. Um, She said she recalled that, like, one night she was doing some late night Bible study homework, as one does. And she said she kind of had this vision where she like looked up and saw Angie smiling at her. Um, and she took that as her sign that she was done waiting for someone else to figure out who killed her friend. Um, and it was actually that night, the article I read said she like just leaned over and picked up the phone off the nightstand. Like she No was- hesitation and not not wasting any time <laughs> you know what let and me take down. matters into my own hands yeah <laughs> well i mean 20 years went by she can't wait forever um so she called the dallas police department and asked uh to talk to the cold case division 
Um, they told her no. Uh, they did not have a cold case department. Uh, was, was she like, now you do? It's me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, she was like, hold my earrings. I got this. <laughs> so they said that they didn't have a cold case department, but um, she would have to talk to Homicide. Uh, so they gave her that number. She called, left a message. No one called her back. Um, she says she probably called about 700 times with no answer. Um, and they were just kind of like hoping that, you know, she would just give up and leave them alone. Like they had a lot going on. Um, but Sheila kind of had the opposite reaction. So Sheila started um, to research and um, printed out all these reports about the rapes that had happened during that period. All the locations, who was arrested, trying to figure out what had happened. I just picture her like in her living room with one of those whiteboards with like the pictures and like red strings all over. Yeah, like that meme. <laughs> yeah. So it's always sunny. Charlie's like <laughs> piecing it together. That's exactly how I picture her. <laughs> um, so it seemed like this was like really consuming her life. Um, and one day she was telling the head of security at her apartment complex about how many times she was like being blown off by the police and um he actually told her he was like you know you'd make a really great private investigator um so that's exactly Damn, what she did. this girl i know she's like so she was like in her 40s um she had her son like helping her study for the exam the exam and like i don't know if it's just in texas but like um where she lived you had to have like a sponsor um, to become a private investigator. So the, the security company at her apartment actually sponsored her. Um, so it's pretty cool. That's awesome. So now that she became um, a private investigator, investigator, she ended up um, reaching out to the Dallas Police Department um, in hopes that they would take her more seriously. Um, and she reached out so much that they actually ended up reopening Angie's case and giving it to a female detective named Linda Crum. Great name. Um, and she took she Sheila seriously. Uh, so Linda got in touch with Sheila and revealed something that was pretty shocking. So up until now, Sheila was told and she thought that all of the DNA evidence was lost in a flood years back. But this new detective said that they still had plenty of DNA that they could test. So this whole time, this all this DNA has just been like chilling in a room somewhere. Why? Why would they make that up? I honestly have no idea. That's interesting. Texas? <laughs> yeah, Texas. Makes sense. Sorry to anybody from Texas if you listen to this. <laughs> no, it's okay. My brother lives in Texas and he never listens to this, even though I beg him to. So insult it all you want. Um, so in 2008 they put in a request to test this dna and in 2009 they got the results back they came back a positive match to donald andrew bess jr this lovely lovely man had been previously convicted in 1978 for aggravated sexual assault and aggravated kidnapping for these charges he had been sentenced to 25 years in prison, but was out on parole by 1984. Why would they release someone on parole, like not even 10 years into their sentence? Exactly. Another another Texas, te lovely thing Texas has to offer. Yeah, ex especially for aggravated sexual assault and aggravated kidnapping. And I don't think this was this guy's first charge. I'm sure it wasn't his last either. <laughs> oh yeah, just wait. 
So he was out on parole in 1984, and that was the year that he raped and killed Angie. The same year he got out on parole. It wasn't like he did his time, and then like 10 years later, he like relapsed. It was like the same year, within months. Holy shit. So in 2010, they had a full trial, and Bess was actually back in prison um, for more sexual assault. Oh, Mm-hmm. never would have thought yeah who could have known <laughs> so with this new evidence he was found guilty um and actually at his trial like his ex-wife and um his kids and a lot of his previous victims um came forward and testified just like how abusive and terrible he was and is um so on june 8th of 2010 uh Donald Andrew Best Jr. received the death sentence, and that is where he is currently today, Um, and there has been no death date set yet. So I will end on a positive note. Um, Dallas does currently have a cold case unit. Well, thank God. (laughs) Dallas is a big city. (laughs) Um, It took them to 2016, but they got there. Does Sheila run it? I hope she does. (laughs) She doesn't run it, but she is still a practicing investigator to this day and is credited with helping to get justice for her friend Angie. So in summary, I think we all need more friends like Sheila. And I vow that if either of you are ever murdered, I will become an investigator and I will solve. Yeah, I will haunt you until you solve it. Seriously. So that is the unfortunate murder of Angela Simoto. Wow, I never heard about that one. That was good. (laughs) Yeah, no, not good, but it's just interesting. (laughs) um, I really like the ones where at least there's a tiny little sliver of something good that came from it. Um, I have a question. Did he ever, like, was he did he he said did he admit to it and did he ever like apologize no so um he was already in jail so i don't think he was like that cooperative Uh, Mm. and at that point they had his dna and um like testimony from so many other people but i couldn't find anything where like he defended himself or he like said what really happened i did see i have it up on the um texas department of criminal justice they have like well, one, a picture of him. Terrifying. Um, he was 36 at the time of the um, attack. And it says summary of incident. And it says during the night in Dallas, Texas, the subject entered the residence of a 20 year old white female victim and insulted the victim, then cut and stabbed her, resulting in her death. Um, so it, I think it's exactly that. He was probably in the parking lot or something at her yeah. apartment. I don't know if he followed her or like, like there's no details like that. Like I don't think he ever really confessed. It seems like it was just like the crime of opportunity. He was probably just like right there and saw this girl who was out late at night who had been drinking. Yeah. Going home alone. And it's just so sad because she had like so much going for her. Yeah. Oh my God. Was he he sentenced to death just because of the murder of Angie or was it because of the other people that testified as well? Um, He was serving life in prison at the time um, for other offenses and then that he got caught for after Angie. Um, But then they 
like tried him again for this new development and that's when he got the death penalty wow yeah. what a lovely dude right it's just sad because it's like something that totally could have been avoided if I know, yeah. 25 years oh. and that's like one of those things too it's like how many other people did yeah. he get to hurt because they didn't yeah. focus on it like there's that story um the mary vincent one that i feel like every true crime lover knows but she was like the 15 year old girl in california in like the 70s who um she was like hitchhiking home and this like old guy attacked her and like did terrible things but then like cut off her arms and he got yes. he got the maximum sentence at the time for that and it was 14 years yes yeah that one blows like mind. that's one that like stays with me yeah yeah she was that's 15 nice. years old he did terrible 14 terrible, years right and like he i think they gave him like a work program where like for every day he worked he got one day off his sentence so he only served seven years in jail it makes me so mad yeah. make it make sense yeah yeah <gasps> who's that there's a ghost behind you oh no <laughs> it's my brother <laughs> He goes, you didn't hear him. Um, I think I muted it in time. He went, oh. <laughs> first sure he to, I think he wants to ask uh, what I want to eat for dinner. Oh. <laughs> well, good job, Sarah. I never heard yeah, about that one good. at all. Yeah, me either. <laughs> I hope I did Angie justice. Sources for this episode include the BBC.com, Wikipedia, InsideMystery.com, tdcj.texas.gov Desk chair.